Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. To listen without ads, head over to Patreon.com slash Right and Wrong. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love the it. writing is sort of everything, right? Like you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing so some bad. readers love that, and some readers are like, "But I wanted more of this." So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I am joined by novelist and poet Jody Matthews. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good too. I'm good too. We're on the, this episode will go out after the book is out, but we are currently Mm -hmm. sort of on the precipice, just a couple of weeks away from the book Mm -hmm. coming out. How are you feeling about everything? Stressed. (laughs) (laughs) Stressed. It's a, it's a strange situation to be in after, you know, a couple of years of knowing that it's coming to suddenly be right there. I think we're about three weeks out it doesn't really feel real. None of it's felt real at any point, actually, if I'm <laughs> honest. So it's, it feels very strange to think that the book will be out there or already is out there in some cases as an actual object. Yeah. yeah. It's odd. A physical thing that lots of people are going to be able to like pick up, hold, read, consume. Yeah. Hopefully lots of people. That would be great. <laughs> that's the aim. That's that's the growth. So, so let's talk about it. It's called... Maybe at the service. It is your debut out on the 15th of February. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay, so Meet Me at the Surface is a book about Marin, who is a young woman who grew up on Bodmin Moor, which is where, or near to where I grew up in real life. And she has moved to Manchester for university and to get away from her mother and her aunt, who she lives with. Um, And she gets called back home by her mother for the memorial service of her ex-girlfriend. When she goes back to the farmhouse that she grew up in, everything is slightly off. No one will tell her when the memorial service is. There's weird things happening on the moors. And she has to uncover what's going on, essentially. And it's it's a bit spooky. It's a bit sort of haunted and mysterious. Yes. Yeah. What was the, obviously, like you mentioned, it's close to, where you grew up mm-hmm. and I know that you you currently live in Manchester so yes. geographically you and Marin <laughs> followed a very similar path mm. um, but what was the kind of original inspiration uh, for this? Well when I was writing it I was actually living in the Midlands um, and I'd lived well, well I've lived away from Cornwall at this point for 10 years um, and I started to try and write a different kind of book which I was really struggling with so as I was struggling to write this other book I decided to give myself a little break and just write something for fun and I wrote a couple of thousand words quite quickly about a girl on a train going home to the moors and taking a long bath and I wrote that and I was like oh this is really fun this is what it's supposed to be like so I kind of went from there and 
I started writing at the end of 2019, early 2020, and I was working as a gardener at the time. So when lockdown happened, I was furloughed and I couldn't go back to Cornwall. So there was something about writing about home and writing about where I grew up whilst I was kind of stuck a couple of hundred miles away that I just found quite inspiring. I was kind of trying to write my way back, I suppose. And it all came from there. Oh, that's so interesting. So you, you weren't actually in Manchester at that time? No, I moved to Manchester um, a year ago. Oh, okay. So it was, yeah, a little bit after I got the deal with Fourth Estate. So you're actually following in Meryn's footsteps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except she's about 10 years younger than I am. I oh, went okay. to university. <laughs> but yeah, quite, quite so, similar. Meryn's footsteps, but with Stoke stuck in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Via Stoke. That's <laughs> fine. So from that, uh, I'm going to speculate that you... Have you been writing like novels and things for for quite a while before you wrote Meet Me at the Surface? Uh, no, actually, Meet Me at the Surface was the first the first novel I wrote. So I kind of it was the first time I sat down and tried to write something full length. Okay. It was yeah in that period at the beginning of twenty twenty, I um probably got about ten or twenty thousand words into a piece of historical fiction, which was just absolute garbage um and then I started again and wrote meet me at the surface so that was my first attempt before that I'd written poetry and I'd done a bit of screenwriting which also wasn't great but was fun um (laughs) kind of articles and essays that kind of thing right okay so you kind of warmed up to it you know you started writing shorter form stuff Mm -hmm. you did this historical fiction which never made it to the finish line and then you and then you hit the ground running with this Mm -hmm. as it was your kind of first thing how many times did you kind of redraft it before you started putting it out to to different like um agents and, and competitions and things like that yeah that's an interesting question i write in a bit of a weird manner or in the way that a lot of people tell you you shouldn't which is where you edit as you go along Oh, interesting. Rather than kind of getting one full draft down and then going back and editing. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and it really frustrates me if I know that something is wrong in the last bit. So I kind of spend a lot of time going over and over, say, the first 20,000 words. I actually, I got about 40,000 words in and then my very old, very broken laptop I was using broke and I lost all of it. And couldn't get it back. <laughs> and no. I had to start again um, at that point, which was actually really good. At the time, I didn't think it was good. I thought it was a disaster, um, <laughs> obviously. But having to rewrite that beginning was really helpful. I think I I finished a draft and then I started to enter into some competitions and I started to work with a mentor as well and do things like that and kind of worked on it that way and then I submitted to agents I think maybe summer of 2021 yeah so it was around a year after I started I think it's really interesting that obviously you did it unwillingly but one thing that I have heard many authors do is is that they will write 
a first draft mm. and then just put it to one side or like delete it and write the whole thing again because in a way it's a really good way of kind of trimming the fat because you remember everything that's important mm-hmm. and everything that's not as important you, you kind of you might not remember it as you're coming to rewrite it again did you find that yeah I think it's really admirable when people do that on purpose um <laughs> I don't think I could I did find it helpful in that yeah when the second time round to get those first 40,000 words down I knew I had a general idea of where I was going with it but I couldn't do that on purpose I work with about seven different word documents open and what I'll do as I'm writing and editing as I go is I'll if I get to a point and I'm like okay I like some of this but not all of it I'll cut pieces and stick them into a new word document and then go from there and then that will be my newest version of it and I kind of do it that way because I like I think I like working on a sentence level more so than kind of an overarching plot which makes it difficult and long when it comes to editing and you need to make sure that there's an actual story rather than just pretty words I really like yeah I I work in quite a close sentence level so I think if I was to just delete everything I'd be quite sad because I I'd forget all of those little turns of phrase if that makes sense yeah I I know what you mean because you especially if you're if you're when you are at that kind of point of working on a sentence level and you're like wow that's such a I'm so happy with this sentence (laughs) and like this paragraph is so perfect but then if someone comes along and says, um, yeah, this is this doesn't move the plot forward, we've got to get rid of it. It's sort of heartbreaking. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't mind it when other people want me to cut it. I'm just oh, okay. I find it really hard to cut myself for some reason. It's not because I think every piece is perfect, it's just because I find it hard to, I suppose, see through all of the weeds. But when it comes to editing, one of my favorite things is to just be told to cut huge chunks so when I was first editing with Liv Maidman who's my agent that's what I said to her immediately I was just like please tell me what to get rid of help me get rid of full chapters help me get rid of everything because I just think editing is an entirely different skill obviously and it's so helpful to just yeah sort through all of the mess but when it comes to drafting yeah I, I can't get rid of things just in case something in there is like the key to making it good i think maybe i don't trust my own judgment yeah enough to delete huge pieces of writing yeah that's what it sounds i mean Mm. authors are obviously like no one is as close to the world and the characters as the author so you often can't see the the, you know the the thing as as a whole in the same way that someone from the outside coming in can see it because all they can see is what you've written down whereas you see yeah what you've written down and then all of the rest of it you know the the other mm-hmm. 90% that's in your brain yeah exactly you i think outside eyes are so important for somebody else to kind of i suppose get to the point of what it is that you're trying to do whereas yeah when you're writing it in your head you've got everything that you've ever thought about and all of your research and yeah this whole kind of wider world and it's not all relevant of course it isn't but <laughs> No, <laughs> it's hard when you find out that it isn't all that important <laughs> it's the i've seen lots of fantasy authors talk about it because obviously fantasy there's a lot of world building that goes mm-hmm. on in, in lots of those books but they talk about it as like a, the iceberg where that you see yeah. the small bit on top 
but it's ev- mm-hmm. all the research everything you you created is the huge kind of mass which is like 90 percent of the actual thing but you're only ever showing 10 percent. yeah i think that's that's definitely that's definitely what it is isn't it it's you you just try and create a whole life yeah for these characters and nobody wants to read their whole life <laughs> do they or maybe some people do but it's not always as interesting as it yeah, needs exactly. to be but it kind of needs to exist without being said for mm-hmm. everything to kind of come together i think at the end yeah exactly yeah let's talk about um so you mentioned um olivia your agent and and yes. you mentioned that it was it was in 2021 i think it's mm-hmm. the summer you said that you started submitting f- two agents was it prior to that that you um put yourself forward for the bath novel award and the blue pencil novel award because i know that you were shortlisted for both of those yeah yeah so i i entered both of those i can't remember exactly when but i got long listed for both and i think if i'm remembering rightly i got the offer of representation from live just after i was long listed for the bpa no the bpa sorry the bath novel award so at that point that was my it was my second round of sending out to agents my first round i sent out way too early when i'd just finished my first draft and i went out i think to about five people and then after that i start i was working with tom defreston who is the he's an artist and he's the author of a really great non-fiction book called wreck so he was kind of mentoring me on my writing and was encouraging me to put myself forward for awards and things like that um so like bath and bpa so i entered those got long listed and sent out my second round and that's when i sent my query out to live i think i emailed her on like a saturday and or possibly a sunday and then i heard back from her on a monday morning wow <laughs> to ask for the foot which was crazy and was not the experience i'd had before um so that was really exciting so i was like oh, okay something has gone right this time around <laughs> which was great i was going to ask if you did lots of editing with olivia but like you said you kind of went in straight away and was like tell me the bits mm-hmm. that need to get taken out was that was there quite a lot of back and forth before you guys decided it was it was good to send to editors yeah there was there was a fair bit of editing um we immediately got rid of a character oh wow which was very helpful um there was a a man in the book there aren't many men in the book (laughs) as it stands now but there was a guy in the book who was um not necessarily a main character but he took up a fair amount of the story and we agreed to get rid of him. Liv kind of pointed out that he was a bit boring and she was right. So we killed him off quite quickly, um, restructured things in a way, kind of lent more into the mystery element of the story, I suppose. Put a bit more focus on plot, I guess is probably the best way to describe what we did because it was quite floaty beforehand because I I had a story obviously but like I said earlier because I was kind of focusing on the on the sentence level it was you know it was all vibes no plot so Liv really helped me make it into a book that would be a good experience to read which was really good (laughs) Um, and then we worked together 
from yeah maybe August September until April of 2022 which is when we went out on submission okay yeah and we went out on submission heard back from fourth estate 24 hours after we went out on sub wow look at you you got the 24 hour turnaround on this one (laughs) yeah it was that was insane i really um i wasn't expecting that at all we went out on submission and i thought okay it's going to take six months or it's going to take nine months Mm. it's going to take a really long time and yeah, I was still working as a gardener at this point as well. So I remember getting, I think we went out on a Monday and it was Tuesday lunchtime and I was mowing some grass and then my phone started buzzing in my pocket and it was Liv messaging me being like, oh my God, Katie from Fourth Estate has just come back. She says she's read it. She loves it. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> it was very exciting. Well, she read the whole thing. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I could be remembering it wrong. But I'm pretty sure she she got it. And she sat and read it straight through. Wow. And kind of immediately contacted Liv and was excited about it. And then obviously, everything that comes after that takes a little while anyway. Um, yeah. I think that was such a relief, because there's always that fear. Yeah. How did you find when you got kind of paired with the, the editor, like actually working with a, a, an editor for the sort of final stage of editorial? Um, again, I quite liked it. So yeah, so I was working with Katie Bowden um, and she just really loved the book and responded to it in the same way that Liv had, which was great. And there were no, um, there was no butting heads or anything like that. There were no kind of, strong editorial decisions that went against anything that I thought it was more just I think fine-tuning what me and Liv had worked on and kind of bringing certain characters out of themselves a bit more and things like that um so again it was just a lovely experience I think it's really nice to kind of take your work and push it towards somebody else and say please help me (laughs) like please help me make this better please shine this up for me And I think I just, yeah, I just kind of trust them intrinsically that what they're going to suggest is going to be right and is going to help. And it did. And the book is much better than it would have been if I'd just kept the whole thing going by myself. So I was very happy. I mean, edits are still hard. I think I, you know, especially when it comes to proofreading and stuff like that, and you just get this blindness your own work and also reading your own work over and over again and once you get to the stage where you know you're not allowed to make any more big edits but you still kind of want to so that's the problem I think I've been reading the book at the moment just to kind of prep myself for podcasts and you know things like this and even now I kind of read through and I'm like it's really hard to switch off that part of your brain that wants to cross out sections and change things around and make this sentence flow better So, yeah, I think in an ideal world, you'd probably be able to edit continuously forever and you'd never have to have an actual finished product. But unfortunately, (laughs) that's not the way it works. I don't know how ideal that would be, but... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not, maybe not. Yeah, I know know exactly what you mean, though. And it's... um, and it's, I think it's the same with a lot of creative disciplines. I used to be very into music and lots of my friends are musicians and they'll, a lot of the time, they'll write a song they'll be really like excited about the song for about a week. And then a week, like if you ask them two weeks later, they'll be like, no, I can't stand to listen to that. It's the worst thing I've ever written in my life. I hate it. Mm -hmm. 
yeah it's like it's decision fatigue I think I get it um it's obviously quite different but I I have tattoos and I get really excited when I when I find a tattoo and when I book in for a tattoo and when I very first get it done I'm like oh this is great and about an hour afterwards I start to hate it and I panic and I'm (laughs) like I've just made a permanent decision and I shouldn't have done and this is terrible and it'll take me about a day or so until I'm like oh no I do actually like this this is fine and I think it's similar with finishing the book or Mm -hmm. sending in a draft you kind of you're like right this is definitely this is definitely good I've done this I'm happy with this and then you send the email and then it's just like a spiral of oh no that was a terrible decision (laughs) that shouldn't have happened and it takes a little while I think to get used to it and to kind of settle into the idea that no okay that's done and I've done as much as I can yeah it's it's hard to let go sometimes right Mm -hmm. it's because once it's gone like especially now you know once you're you've worked with the editor it's like finished the publisher's like great done it's going to print and you're like you can no longer change it like it's finalized yeah yeah <laughs> scary um but it's but it's going to be great uh it, it is great and um it comes when when it comes out um, i'm sure many people are going to also think this is great and she didn't need to change anything <laughs> speaking of writers and writing and publishing lots of the listeners of this podcast are, are writers looking to learn about publishing and and sort of know what to expect once you you get your foot in the door so Throughout this whole kind of process, I wonder if were there any parts of it that um, maybe like surprised you or you weren't expecting? That's an interesting question. I think I had a kind of, I had a general idea of how everything worked because I was um, I was running my Instagram account for maybe a year or so before I started writing the book, and I was. I was reviewing books on there. So I'd worked with some PR teams for publishers and I'd done some social media stuff for them. So I had a had a vague idea and I was following lots of published writers as well. So I could kind of see how long the process took. I suppose it's still a bit of a surprise when you do, you know, you sign your deal and you know that your book is coming out. And I think I signed mine, yeah, in 2022. And then when it's like, right, okay, this is going to come out in 2024, it still feels like such a long time. Yeah. And that's a kind of weird liminal space to be in when you know that this thing that you've wanted for so long is going to happen, but just not yet. Um, that was quite strange. And then I changed my title a few times. But again, that wasn't so much unexpected because I knew that that happened, but it was still a strange process to kind of be stood, you know, at work on my phone with Liv, my agent, kind of throwing titles back and forth at each other as we tried to figure out, you know, what what suggestions we should make to the publisher when we knew that we needed to change it. Um, did the publisher, did was there then kind of a discussion about changing it once it was with the the publisher or is the title that we have meet me at the surface is that one that you and olivia came up with um so yeah it was changed once we'd made the deal with four for state so it actually changed a few times when i was um when i was first working on it by myself there was a, a period of time where i'd called it um sulking room which wasn't really okay. relevant to anything <laughs> i just liked it i think i was still in the habit of naming poems um so we did that and then I had 
I had another title for a while, which is what I submitted it to live under. It was called A Single Drop of Sea. Um, but then as we edited, the sea became less important in the story. Um, so before we went out on submission and sent it to Fourth Estate, I renamed it again and I called it Spriggan, which me and Liv both really liked. Um, and that's what it went out to Fourth Estate under that title. And Katie really liked that title as well, but we had a discussion where essentially because it's a, because it's a Cornish word, because it's a, you know, a word that's associated with folklore, it was decided that we needed something that was kind of more recognizable, I suppose, that, you know, a title that would make more sense to people who might not have come across that word before, because we didn't want anything on the book, I suppose, that would deter people from picking it up. Yeah. which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, then we bandied ideas back and forth. And I think it was it was Liv who came up with Meet Me at the Surface. We kind of, we discussed a few different ones and nothing really felt right. And then, yeah, Liv sent over the idea of Meet Me at the Surface and we were all just like, oh, oh yeah, that works. So that was really good. I'm very happy that we ended up there. We ended up with it. Yeah, it's a good one. And I, I, I think it's one thing you can definitely expect is, I think more often than not, there'll be several t- iterations of a title for a book when it goes through different stages of, of publishing and production. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's important not to be too precious about it as well. It's just kind yes. of, that's how I've tried to be with every every step of the process, I guess, is just as open as possible to any suggestions and to kind of, to think of the book as a, as a changeable thing rather than a like a fixed object. So I haven't gone into it saying this is my story and this is exactly how it needs to be told. And this is what it needs to look like. And this is what the cover needs to look like. And this is what the title needs to be. I've kind of tried my best to, yeah, just be as open to any changes that need to be made. And I think that's really helped and made it an easier process as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I also think if you're if you're kind of interested and in, in looking at d- going down a traditional publishing route and working with you know a team and stuff like that, it is a team effort. And you know, between your agent and your editor and everyone else at the at the publishing house, everyone's trying to make this book as good as it can possibly be. But it, if you want to create something that's entirely wholly authentically you, mm-hmm. then there's probably other avenues that might work better for that kind of book. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the publishers, they, they know how to sell it. And that's one thing for me, at least, like I, I know how to write the story, but that's as far as, you know, that's as far as my ability goes, that's as far as my job goes. So if, if they have an idea or they know a way that to get it into into more hands or to make it appeal to more people or to get it to reach the right audience, then obviously I'm going to listen to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've yeah. got they've got the experience and the kind mm-hmm. of knowledge and things like that. Yeah. And um as much as you hear the phrase like don't judge a book by its cover and things like that. It's <laughs> like the reality is a lot of books and my I myself judge a lot of books by the cover. Not necessarily oh, in like a bad way, but mm-hmm. in if I see a nice cover I will go over and look at what the book is. You know what I mean? You see a, a catchy title, you're like, oh, intriguing. I must read more. 
Yeah, of course. Covers are, are so important. They're so important. I'm like a magpie when it comes to them as well. So I definitely, <laughs> I understand that. And I'm very happy with mine, which is great as well. Yeah, it's, it, it's I, really That nice. was one it's thing really I was nice. worried about. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing I was worried about before I kind of started the process was, oh, what if I get lumped with, you know, quite early on, I was trying to imagine what the book would be like when it was done. And I was like, oh, gosh, what if I, what if I get lumped with a really ugly cover? <laughs> and luckily that didn't, that didn't happen at all. We were, yeah, everyone was very happy as soon as, as soon as the cover was kind of shown to us for the first time I got the email through yes and was immediately like this is this is perfect and there were a couple of tweaks but nothing major which was nice I was just pleased it had an eel on it to be honest (laughs) that was the one the one ask the one thing you wanted Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is it's it's a really nice cover and uh, anyone listening uh go check it out it'll be available to buy as of this airing uh, but but at minimum go and check out the cover because it's really nice and there's an eel <laughs> on it um and that brings us to the final question um which is the same in every episode jody if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book which book do you hope that it would be i love this question so i actually pulled two off my bookshelf um to try and think about this and they're both really chunky because i feel like that is an important element yeah. to this. So I have, it would be a choice between um, Stephen Chodsky's Imaginary Friend, which mm-hmm. is, I think, about 800 pages and very scary and very odd, which now I'm thinking about it, if I was on a desert island, would probably be terrifying to reread, um, <laughs> but also just infinitely interesting. And then also Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, by Susanna Clarke, which is about mm-hmm. a thousand pages. So it would be it would be a toss up between one of those, both of which I've only read once. But probably, yeah, mainly for the sheer length of them and <laughs> for the slight weirdness that both of them have that I think would keep keep things interesting. If you had to if you had to pick one, which would it be? At the moment, I would lean towards imaginary friend. Okay. Yeah. The way you say at the moment makes me think that in like <laughs> 10 minutes, you're going to be like, no, I changed my mind. <laughs> maybe. maybe. I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm leaning more towards horror in general in everything okay. that I'm reading and watching and kind of, yeah, partaking it. Right horror is really having a moment right now, I think, mm. in the kind of popular sphere because it like television, movies, books, horror is yeah. really, people love it. Yeah, it's just fascinating. I think it's. Yeah, it's the one thing that's keeping me interested, I think, at the moment, especially when I'm, you know, there's a lot going on, the launch of the book coming up and everything's a bit stressful. And I think the escapism of horror is exactly what I need. So if I was stuck on a desert island right now, it would be Imaginary Friend. Okay, amazing. Very cool answer. I I also (laughs) liked your runner up as well. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jodie, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about the uh, the book, Meet Me at the Surface, and your, your writing process and your writing journey. It's been really cool chatting with you. Thank you. It's been really fun. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Jodie is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Jodie R. Matthews or on Instagram and TikTok at Jodie Rianne Matthews. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon. And for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Jodie and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.